All right, and welcome to the second hour of Barbarian in the Valley here on WMUA Amherst. You are most welcome. I have to say, those promos are amazing. You know, that first hour of Barbarian in the Valley, we try to make a kind of artful mix, but the last two minutes were pretty remarkable in themselves. We have teeth brushing and tornadoes, uh, drunken driving twice, but yes, good advice to be sure. Now, we're so happy to be with you today. We're so excited to be back here in the crystal ship in the studio of my dreams. And uh, I've described it before, and I'm telling you that if you go to your window right now, you'll see us hovering over the valley. We try to move around as much as possible. It's an invisible kind of floor, and if you're looking up, you can see us just kind of rotating and hovering over the Connecticut River. So give us a wave if you do see us. I had the privilege of traveling across the basin this morning with Robin Cody, who, among many other things, is also my wife. And as we biked and hopped and popped, and as I did my best to keep up with her, and she did her best to keep up with me, and we tried not to make it a race too much, we kind of talked about what we were going to talk about today. And, you know, I got a little tight at a certain point. I'm like, I don't know if I really want to talk about that. But you know what we did? We worked it out. We had... What this show is, the goal of this show is a spirit of inquiry. And so that's what we're able to do. We're kind of, thanks to her, mostly, we're able to kind of calm the conversation down and kind of hone in on what we wanted to talk about. And so, that being said, we're going to be exploring dimensions of motivation. Or, put another way, this is the hustle episode. Where does hustle come from, right? How do you get hustle? How do you sustain hustle? So I will be back in just a minute with Robin Cody, and I invite you to listen to some more Diodato, and stay tuned. So we're coming back. We're in the studio here, and we're going to be talking about motivation, about hustle. So, Robin, could you introduce yourself? Hi, everybody. I'm Robin Cody. I am uh, working in the realm of leadership development at the moment and how to help organizations build very strong and robust cultures. And so a few uh, months ago, I picked up this very fantastic book called Unsafe Thinking by Jonah Sachs. And really, uh, this book is about how to reignite creativity uh, when it wanes. He was the founder of a very successful design firm called Free Range Studio. And it became overwhelming to him and he lost his... Um, his creativity. And so he, he went out and interviewed a lot of people who have gone through the ups and downs of running a company and tried to distill um, some key ingredients to maintaining a vital, creative work life. And so today we're just going to look at um, some of his uh, 
research on motivation. I do want to make a disclaimer right now, and I don't know if we want to decide this right now. Um, I had a terrible time. Intrinsic, I can do. Extrinsic, I can't, I'm going to have a hard time doing that. So now, can Extrinsic. we... Extrinsic. Uh, can we just decide that we're going to call this internal and external motivations? Okay, that's fine. Because otherwise, it's going to be a problem throughout the show for me. <laughs> okay. So, everybody listening, it's the, the readings on barbarianinthevalley.com and typically will be, if we're using a reading, and we're going to use internal and external motivations for today. Sure, Now, can you, can you summarize that? part of the chapter that's most relevant to what we're going to be talking about? Okay, so, you know, all of us uh, at this moment in history are very familiar with intrinsic motivation. We're trying to get our our kids to be intrinsically motivated. And if you are a parent, you do understand how limited that really is. Um, And, you know... Intrinsic motivation, in fact, was only coined in 1949 by a researcher named Harry Harlow when he was discovering primates. And we thought that motivation up until that point was really uh, behavior-driven, was really just about sort of hitting the the dopamine trigger in the brain. And um, so he... He did this experiment with primates and he gave them a very hard puzzle and he did not give them any reward. And his hypothesis was is that they would not finish the task or they would not return to it once they did. But what he discovered was, in fact, they really enjoyed solving this puzzle. And then he thought, oh, interesting, I'll, I'll boost their learning by offering them a reward, a raisin. It was a raisin, yeah. And um, they declined. They their, lost motivation, right? They, they kind made of wandered more mistakes, away. they got lazy, they didn't yeah. care, they didn't finish. Suddenly, this raisin really interrupted their flow. Um, it seems like, and I think this is true in my life at least as well, that the, the joy, the delight of solving problems is such a, is such a stronger dopamine hit than a, than a raisin, hmm. you know? So, But here's my question just for that is like, why did the monkeys lose motivation because they still could solve the puzzles right it's and get a raisin like the raisin was in addition to what they were already doing and yet it demotivated them but it wasn't this and and a different thing it was like sure keep fiddling with the puzzles have a great time and i'm going to give you a raisin and that demotivated them yeah i mean i can only hypothesize about this and it's really only anecdotal and we talked a little bit about this on the ride up which is is that Getting that small drip of dopamine can be a little distracting. Hmm. If, if, you know, it's harder to kind of focus and go through a process and go all the way with it. But if somebody's, a, a raisin is kind of easy, come, easy, go. And it's sort of like the small drip. And so I wonder if that's part of it. He doesn't elaborate on that in the article. He doesn't explain that. He was just observing that's true. And you and I have talked about how, you know, when somebody becomes externally rewarded in your classroom, for example, praise, when praise is doled out, how truly detrimental that can be to a process. And can I just address this for a second, just to really put this on the table? A couple of anecdotes here is that when I taught in Springfield, they did award ceremonies twice a year for just like the freshman class. And that seems like a great idea, right? You know, these are kids who are struggling in school. You want to give them awards. I could not believe how quickly that turned that student away from that behavior. Mm -hmm. So, for example, I remember a student getting 
like the award for being polite and nice. That kid got so <laughs> disrespectful the next day moving forward. You know, they totally rejected that classification of them. And even where I am now, if I praise a kid, I find that um, that, that part of their facility shuts down. And we've talked about this before. In part, you know, you know if you praise a, a child for being smart, they stop taking chances because they kind of want to hold that moniker, I'm smart. That there's this kind of like, they may not know where that came from, mm-hmm. and they don't want to lose it, and it kind of uh, paralyzes them a little bit. But yeah, I have been very careful with praise in, in the years that have passed. And I do want to try to find a way to let the students know, like, wow, cool, without... Um, deep, you know, without them feeling like I'm manipulating them or, or whatever it is that's right. getting them from stopping doing all what I really see is like, well, wow, it's just tremendous. Yeah, what Jonas Sachs observes is, is that people, um, when they're being externally rewarded, have uh, the, run the risk of feeling controlled yep. and manipulated, which I think we can all relate to. Um, and it's, it's not even, it's sort of like this psychic thing. It's, it's not even a direct link, but there's something about that exchange. You've, you've behaved this way. This is your reward. It is con- it, there's something constrictive about it. Whereas if you're doing it for the own, your own love of it, then um, it's much more open-ended. There's a lot of freedom. You don't owe anybody mm. anything. So... Um, you know, you'll often see this in, in sort of uh, volunteer positions. People will work 10 times harder than they will at their job. Um, there's just an inherent freedom in that when it's sort of somebody feels that they have the agency and are given the choice to pursue and proceed as they want. So that's an important part of this discussion. Of course, intrinsic motivation is limited. <coughs> why is, so talk to us about why is it limited? Because... Well, this is this is sort of getting going later on in in the article, but I'll just give a little foreshadowing. There are moments in a process that aren't going to be fueled by the love or the delight of the experience. They have to be fueled by something else if you want to complete the task. We all know that to to follow through, to bring something to its fruition, they have the the 80/20% rule where <clears throat> the last 20% of a project are as hard or harder than the first 80%. And that's definitely been true for me. Oh, yeah. And so this is the point that Sachs um, recommends we really rely on extrinsic motivation. That's when we really need the raisins or the chocolate or the accolades or the support. Like, come on, you can do it to the, to the last, those last percentage points. Um, that becomes very important because there's not this sort of internal, intrinsic uh, it dries reward up. that's, that's going to happen. It kind of dries up. It's interesting. Maybe that's partly why that last 20% feels so long. Mm-hmm. It's definitely true. I, I've seen in so many, like whether you're renovating a house or anything, that last 20% becomes at least half the battle in terms of getting something done. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's because your intrinsic motivation is worn off and you're kind of wondering, like, why am I even doing this? I don't know if it's that or if it's detailed work or there there's, might be a number of things going on. But I think that's what you're saying, at least in part, is that it does wear off. And that's where the, extrinsic, uh, the external stuff has to really kind of take over. Much yep. more than when you've actually completed it. Much more than when you've actually kind of completed it. 
That is to say, the rewards that happen after you complete it, I think, can often feel really hollow to people. Mm-hmm. I've heard so many stories of really famous people at award ceremonies wanting to jump off a bridge, like actually wanting to kill themselves because it felt so hollow mm-hmm. that actually their dopamine, they were getting no dopamine from that experience of feeling rewarded. This is interesting. Moby talks about this, the electronic musician. He's at the height of his career. And he's in a hotel. Madonna's in the other suite. You know, Prince and Bruce Springsteen are in different suites. He's literally trying to find a window to jump out of the hotel. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that it was the lowest moment of his life that Mm -hmm. he felt. And it was at an award show in Europe. It was, he was really articulate about it. And I think a lot of people feel that way. You know, it's, it's also, we can talk about this later. I think Hamilton, the musical, could be a really interesting model for us to look at. It is such a masterpiece and such a successful work of art. And I think it's because there was so much workshopping of it. Like, so much money actually went into the last 40% of that musical. They spent years of money trying to make that thing work, kind of in, the, in private with a group of people. You know, obviously, Lin-Emmanuel had the vision for it and probably wrote most of the music and most of the words and choreographed, etc. But that last part, which is so hard, there was so much resources going into it, so many people going into it, and then, of course, it ended up being such a, tr- a tremendous work of art. So that's maybe something we can return to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that I, I, I hear what you're saying about that end part being so hard. And so that's where rewards can really come in. Yeah, and it just feels to me to be a part of how this um, world is designed. I mean, what I, what's coming to my mind is giving birth. So you have the first, you know, nine months of incubation of really... You know, the, the baby is growing and growing. And then there is that pivotal moment when it's the big push, you know, and yeah. it's not pleasant and it's really painful. And it's really the only, you know, it's how the baby comes into the world. I mean, of course, there's other technology and stuff. But as a metaphor, I think that that is how things come to be generally. Yeah, that is an interesting metaphor because, you know, pregnant women have these weird desires for things too, right? <laughs> you know, like historically, like ice cream. And and also you look at that last part of the pregnancy can often be so hard. Yeah. In fact, it gets so hard that, and of course I'm speaking as a man here, but I've been with you through, through two births that even th- as scary as birth is, a lot of times you're like, I don't care anymore. Yeah. Like I'm not afraid of birth because I just want to stop being pregnant. And yeah. it's followed by what? often postpartum depression, Mm -hmm. right? It's often followed by a sense of, uh, you know, depression, actually. Mm -hmm. So that might go to it as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, well, sex sex does relate a sense of failure. I mean, part of what he's interested in is how do people get back from failure? Now, I know, you know, postpartum isn't a failure, but it's a sort of, it's a, you know, it's an emptying out and it's a starting over. It's, and so, you know, he talks about this woman, Wainwright, who <clears throat> really drove pet.com pets. into the com. Yeah. pets.com into the ground and then resurrected herself after a, f- a few tries. And he was really curious, you know, and she wants to say, I'm motivated by everything. I'm motivated by the desire to create a very successful business. I'm motivated to help inspire women. I'm motivated by recycling um, goods so that they don't go into the landfill. I'm, I'm motivated by this, this, this. And, and she's 
very um, energetic about all of the motivations and how she pulls from all of those to get it done, you know? Um, so one thing that he talks about in the article is, is what happens when we're educated about where motivation comes from. And so there's this experiment that he does with a group of students. Um, he doesn't do it. Somebody, somebody else does it. Yeah. I can't remember who. Um, and the experiment goes like this, where one group of students was inoculated, as he calls it, with um, a motivation vaccine. What that means is they were basically uh, primed to... Um, be motivated by this video in which the student talks, says, well, I like social studies. I like learning about how other people live in different parts of the world. It's also fun because you get to do a lot of projects and reports. And when I come up with good ideas, I feel good. So here Tommy's describing pretty explicitly about intrinsic or internal motivation. And this is in the video that these students are watching. Yep. Right. And so then the interview asks him, well, what about grades? And Tommy replies, well, I like to get good grades. And when I bring home a good report card, my parents always give me money. But that's not what's really important. I like to learn a lot. I work hard because I enjoy it. So one group of students watched this video. Another group of students didn't watch the video. And then the, the group was invited to tell a story. Um, half of the children were offered a reward for telling the story and the rest were not. And so what ended up happening in this study is, is that the kids who were offered the reward weren't very creative with their stories. Now, who's measuring that is the next question and how do you measure creativity and all of that? Okay, well, that's a different conversation. If they had not seen the video. If, if they had not seen the video. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, Absolutely. That's important. So the kids who had not been primed by this video, when they were offered the reward, according to this, just kind of wanted the raisin or something like that. They really, the stories weren't very good. Yeah. Again, subjective, but I understand that. Right. Okay. Right. And so then the, the, the students who had seen the video and were offered the reward really, uh, according to this, came up with the best stories. So here's, a, here's an example of how motivation can work in tandem, both internal and external. And in fact, it really needs to. Um, so, you know... And what's so, this is interesting. This gets to, I think, uh, the other study as well. That is, when you reward something, you kind of are... Um, you're intruding a little bit. If it's already happening, right? If people are already doing, the monkeys are already solving the puzzles, right? They're excited. He has this great description of them, right? He talks about them as um, they fiddle with the puzzles, eventually solving them. Then, like obsessive teenagers with a Rubik's Cube, they solve them again and again, continually improving their speed and skill. It's a beautiful description, right? These monkeys are just so psyched. <laughs> and so, so my, my contention here, and it does relate to what we're talking about over on the other side, is that the raisin's an insult, actually. Mm -hmm. The raisin defiles their true passion. Mm -hmm. That it's a way of saying they don't need it, and it's almost a way of taking away from them their love and kind of um, alloying their love 
with some external thing that they don't care about. Mm-hmm. You know, much the way Moby might have felt on the top of that hotel, which is that's not why he was doing it. And now it's become this, and I never wanted it to be this. I did the music because I was passionately in love with these recordings, and I wanted all these really great motivations that he had, some of which can be external, by the way, right? Because he probably wanted to share that music. He probably wanted people to come to his concert. He probably wanted people to admire him. But the MTV Music Awards, that's different, right? That's not what I signed up for, you know? And I, so that's interesting, too, because then you could be like, could be the right external. Like, okay, here's an example. What if you rewarded the monkeys in different puzzles and like different Rubik's cubes and stuff like that? Then I could see them being really happy to get the next puzzle, the next game. Like that's different because it's feeding something that they already love. You're just recognizing, oh, you guys really love this. Let me find you more of this. But when you throw the raisin down, you're like, they're like, no, I don't, no, I'm not a trained monkey. I don't do this stuff for raisins, right? <laughs> well, I did think about that in your student example. I was, as you were saying, I would like to find a way to really let the kids know that they're doing a good job. And that did come to mind, which is this, okay, offer another challenge, one yes. that's a li- that has right. higher stakes, that's more complicated. You know, I mean, that's really exciting. When that's right. some, somebody recognizes your capacity capability and then gives you more to chew on that feels really gratifying at least to me and to what I for our kids too and for people I work with like okay you can do this now you're ready for the next challenge sure I think that's really smart it's a show don't tell thing I'm gonna tell you you're good at this that's just a dead end and it's just a, a, a way of me who am I to say you know but I mean I am their teacher and I do have to assess them so I guess in that sense but I think you we're almost the most protective of the things we do well. Oh, absolutely. Right. You can assess me. I don't really care about that. I'm not a good math student. You know, like, okay, you know, I'm not very good at that. Or even if you say something I don't care about, I'm good at, that's fine because it's not my core. But if you're talking about something I really am good at, then I'm a little territorial about you. Who are you to tell me I'm good at that? Like, mm-hmm. that's not for you to say. I, I love what you're saying now, though. And, you know, Jeremy... I think would agree with that. Like he teaches tech. And so he has a great um, canvas on which to say, okay, now go shoot this film. You know, mm-hmm. he can really just kind of unleash their power. It's a little harder in social studies, although I've been trying to do it with my elective, right, where there's a more managerial situation and I can mm-hmm. kind of unleash their power. But that makes a lot of sense. And that would be the equivalent of giving these monkeys more Rubik's cubes, mm-hmm. right? You, you're really recognizing not... Uh, it's not a dead end. You're just kind of saying, oh, you guys really like this stuff. I'm just going to get out of your way. Mm-hmm. I am going to get out of your way. And so the video thing is interesting to me because is the video. So the video is basically priming the kids to not reject external motivation. Right? Isn't that the point of the video? That it's basically t- showing the kids another kid who's really good at something who can kind of be like, well, I'm okay with both. You know, the internal motivation is more important to me, but the external motivation is fine. It doesn't, it doesn't kill my love it of the internal. It doesn't hurt, but the real reason is my love of work. I can tolerate the external stuff. It's not really what's driving me. It's my passion. I just, I guess there's part of me that thinks that video is really manipulative. Well, to me, the video, as we're talking about it, it's almost, this Tommy is a success story. I mean, nobody's going to watch that video and be, you know, turned off by Tom. I mean, some people might, but 
he's successful, he's happy, he's fulfilled, and he's getting rewarded. Who doesn't want that? That's what we all want. And so here's a model of somebody that's doing something and getting rewarded, both internally and externally. So the kids are viewing that, and it's exciting or igniting their own desire to have that experience. Um, And I think that's very important. The only thing, the only way I could see a student rejecting that, I get it. The video in of itself, there's nothing wrong with it. It's very well balanced. And, you know, the kid sounds like a cool kid, etc. <laughs> he picks social studies, so obviously I think he's a genius. But um, the only way you might reject that is if you're aware that they were showing it to you to try to get a desired result. Like, that's what I'm saying, is that when we feel manipulated, we turn off. And so rewards can feel manipulative. Well, this video, by definition, is manipulative. Like, that's what they were trying to do with this video. I mean, it's a manipulation. So it could work this time. But if there was a flurry of these videos, after a couple of years, the students would be like, I know what they're doing. Do you know what they're doing here? They're trying to, they're trying to get us to, to care about getting good grades. You know, that, that a certain amount of cynicism could leak in eventually. Yeah, I think I'd like to return. That's very possible. But I think that... There is a difference between offering somebody a raisin versus offering them a, a more complex puzzle. Oh, yeah, definitely. And the, the real difference is a process. You know, a raisin isn't a process. It is a dead end, like you said. You know, I mean, money can be viewed as a dead end, potentially, or, you know, the means mm. to, you know, have uh, uh, more opportunity to engage in more processes but the point is is that we all want to be stretched and to and to use our minds and our body to learn i mean we're just wired for that Mm. and so when we are rewarded by situations that promote that promote growth we it excites our motivation um, and we, we were talking about sports earlier. Yeah, so maybe we can talk about that, come back when we talk about that. I mean, this is really percolating in my head, what we're talking about. <laughs> I do want to point out, the kids with the video who were inoculated, I mean, that word, I don't really like that word. It's a strange word. Well, it's kind of a nasty, it feels a little bit like massive manipulation, honestly. Yeah, he says uh, motivation vaccine motivational vaccine it's kind of I, I don't like I, I don't like the tone of it yeah you it's know. an experiment okay it's, it's fine it's fine but um, they their external reward was not more challenges they actually had like a raisin or something like that I mean they got results from these students apparently I just want to point out that I agree with you a thousand percent that the best way to reward someone is to unleash their power even further but this is interesting to me now as we look at this. That requires the people in charge to give away power, actual power. You know, not the TV set, not the car, not the raisin, not the, like, money, but, like, actual, you know, you, you are, when you're a teacher, if you're going to do this, if you're really going to uncork your students, that means your power gets diminished as their power rises because you're really uncorking them. You're letting them well, run. Well, your control gets diminished. Your power you know, who said okay, this in so Star control. Wars? You can't take that's... nobody can take your power away from you, but your control diminishes. And Are yes. you sure you're using a Star Wars reference right now? <laughs> 
You're the last person who should be using Star Wars references, okay? Because there's a bunch of like Star Wars people out there who are going to be like, that's not in the movies. <laughs> okay, I don't me. remember that quote, but it's possible that it was in there. Um, I do like the correction, though. The correction is right. Control. Mm-hmm. And so in that sense, you know, you start seeing these rewards as it is a mean. That's the suspicion that you're trying to control me. Mm. I don't want to be controlled. Mm-hmm. And what we award in award ceremonies and stuff like that are actually can be a way to cap someone's career. It can be a way to stall somebody. Mm-hmm. Just how many times have we seen uh, awards kind of mangle a person? Uh, even the Red Sox right now, you know, they won the World Series. They can't seem to get it together. It's called, it's called the World Series hangover. It's a real thing. Now, that is a sports thing, and they actually won that. It wasn't a manipulation, we don't think. Um, listen. This is, a, this is off to a great start, and I just want to remind people that they can call in. You don't have to read the article to call in. I'm going to give you the number three times now, okay? And maybe we can say to you, what motivates you? Ah, what, what are you good. more motivated by? Are you more internally motivated? Are you externally motivated? Do you reject this conversation and say, I don't even know. You know how can you even say what's internal or external on everything or any of the above and more? So our call-in number is 413 413- Five four five three six nine one, and we're going to just take a quick music break, and we'll be back in just a minute. <laughs> 